0: Hello. (laughs) I was uh, I was putting my uh, daughter, my youngest daughter, to bed last night, and um, sometimes uh, in my household, I'm sure it's uh, probably the same in yours too. Like putting a kid to bed becomes like, you know, fascinating for other kids, so they want to watch you put other kids to bed. (laughs) So, so as I'm putting uh, my youngest to bed. And you know, I can't even bring up the topic of putting someone to bed without telling you that, that great uh, Torah from Reb Shlomo who says that this is what you should say to your child when you, when you put your child to bed. And if you don't have a child, then you should say it to yourself. And even if you do have a child, you should say it to yourself anyway. Which is, he said that you should say to your child, I love you and I need you, and Hashem loves you, and Hashem needs you, and you're beautiful. So, see, it's one thing to believe in God, and it's another thing to trust in God. We think intuitively that those two things go together. If I believe in God, that means, what's the definition of God? God is the one who's all powerful. So, if he's all powerful, then he must, and he's good, then he must be taking care of me. So one could make a a, a logical progression where belief in God necessarily leads to trust in God. But there is only one problem. There's a mind and then there's a heart. And they say the greatest distance in the universe is between the mind and the heart. So it's not enough just that one has to derive, uh, make a logical progression that one one concept should include the other concept. For better or for worse, as human beings with minds and hearts, we have belief in God that's already on the level of the mind. But trust in God is on the level of the heart. And they're really two separate different avodas, spiritual work that have to go hand in hand with each other. Because you know, one of the there are different explanations about the splitting of the Red Sea. What happened exactly? In fact, there and if you study them, you can make a whole book of different explanations of how the sea split exactly. One explanation of how the sea split, by the way, just so you should know, is that they went from one side remember remember there was the Jews were really had their back up against it. There was the the, the Red Sea was right there, and the Egyptian army is charging at them with at that point was the highest level of military technology in terms of armaments. Those chariots were the equivalent of you know, atom bombs. You know, That was in terms of the psyche of the soldier on the field or the, the civilian on the field. That was the highest power at that point, militarily speaking, charging at us. The Medrash goes on to say that there were wild animals coming from either side of us, and then the only place to escape was the sea, but that meant certain death. So we were really stuck. you know I was I was trying to communicate that to my to my eldest son when he was young he was about I don't know five at the time and we were we were in the like the little dining room area and the kitchen was behind him and you know he was facing the living room and I was trying to explain to him to make it really real. I said to him, There are wild animals charging from you, from either side, and the Egyptians are coming straight for you, and the river's behind you. Where are you gonna go? And he said, to the kitchen! (laughs) (laughs) So, so one of the, one of the, uh, one of the explanations of the splitting of the sea is that they went from the side where they were, And they made a a U. They didn't go across the sea, as is the conventional wisdom. This is one understanding. Because that would imply... In other words, they ended up, after the splitting of the sea, on the same side of the river. Why? According to this, it's a fascinating idea. Because do you think God really needed to do that to get the Jews away from the Egyptians? In other words, in the, when all was said and done, he kept them on the exact same side of the river, because you know. So that's it's just a, a beautiful thought. Another was that clear? Not so much. Let me let me let me explain. Imagine the letter U. You know, like uh, so. Yeah, the, the, there's so. In other words, they didn't go across the water. God didn't allow them to, so to speak, escape, because God doesn't have to escape from anyone is the idea. So they didn't go across the water to safety. God made this U shape so that they made a a uh, a turn, the sea split, the Egyptians were drowned, and the Jews ended up on the same side of the river that they were initially. Because God doesn't have to escape from anyone. So that's 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 one that's one idea. But in other ideas like this, and I'm getting back to this idea of by the way I want to talk about angels. That's where we're heading <laughs> oddly enough Um, but um, but another opinion is that is that the sea didn't split until the head of the tribe of Judah Nachshon jumped into the water and when the water was up to his nose so in other words he was about to drown at that moment the sea split okay again that's the more popular knowledge people understand that but within that, there's another opinion, which is a wild opinion, and I think speaks to life in general. Every moment, every second. Which is again this idea of knowing that God exists, but also trusting in God. This dual element you'll see demonstrated in, in this idea. Which is that for the Jews, every step that they took, the water remained at nose level for all of them. For all of them, every step throughout crossing the river. In other words, they were on the verge of drowning every single moment, according to this understanding, and simultaneously, at every single moment, God saved their life. What about, what about all the people were on Yahvashan, they were on dry land, that, that would contradict that? But yeah, these are all different Midrashic teachings. For up. sure. But listen, you don't come here. To hear what you already know, you come here to hear new ideas. <laughs> so, so another teaching is this: is this idea that the water remained at drowning level essentially the entire time, and and again, this is the idea of you know the halachas um, surrounding two things are very interesting, very instructive in terms of our knowledge, in terms of getting through life. Saying Halel, and also Benching Gomel, the prayer of redemption from our life being saved. And it's considered like Halel is like you're thanking God, you're praising God. It's like, it's an ecstatic praising of God that you're alive. You know? And um, it's really reserved, or it is reserved outright, for holidays and Rosh Chodesh. And the rabbis actually criticize those who would seek to say it every single day. And again you would think, well, wouldn't that be the ultimate to say halal every single day? So there is a form of halel that we do say every single day, by the way. It's Psuke de Zimra. It's the it's the Psalms leading up to the morning davening. And that also has sort of like the category of halel, but but in a in a different sense. Now, I want to relate that also to this notion of Having your life saved and benching Gomel. So a lot of people are like, I almost got hit by a car. So it's really, it's really a question you have to ask a Rav because a lot of those things you wouldn't bench Gomel. It's not like the person got hit and was fine. In other words, because what there's a slippery slope and there's a distinction that the rabbis make which is that, but you didn't get hit. Okay, and I'm not saying that's the halakha in that instance right there. I'm just talking more broadly and more conceptually right now. It gets to the point where, don't you understand, your life is in jeopardy every single moment. And your life is being saved every single moment. So the truth is, you really should bench gomel every single day. So there's this these twin ideas It's these twin ideas that I want to say Hallel every single day to just an overjoyed thank you God for bringing me to this day. But we don't. And then God, I want to say gomel every single day because you saved my life every single day. But we don't. (laughs) Because you know what both of those extremes are called? Everyday life. I mean, it's so phenomenal what it means to go through a day. So, with that as a introduction, let's look a little more deeply into, into something that we say <clears throat> every night as part of the bedtime Shema. And um, it's, a, it's a Pasuk. It's, you know, and there's a beautiful song to it. Um, it's Hamalach <laughs> Rav Asi Mikoram. Yvrachesanari, the Akare Bahem Sheme, Vishema Vosai, Avram Yitzhak V um no Avram Vi Yitzhak, Vyidgular Rov, Bekarav Haritz. And what Pusak is it? It is um it's in uh Parshus Vay. It's at the end of Breshis, it's uh chapter forty-eight, verse sixteen. So so let me read it in uh, in English. It says uh May the angel who redeems me from all evil bless the lads, and may my, and may my name be declared upon them, and the names of my forefathers Abraham and Yitzchak, and may they proliferate abundantly like fish within the land. So, so uh, you know, I'll tell you. There's um, there's a uh, by Simcha's Torah. There are all these special um, aliyahs. and one of them is called Hana'arim. and we bring up. Um, it's a segula for for children, and we make a big canopy with all the talasim in the shul, and then all the children get under the the talasim, and then one person is the representative, and they do the birkas torah, and um, and uh, and we, and we read this this pasuk is is one of the things that we read, so. Um, it's it's also a segula for having children and we had an instance in our in our shul at the happy meeting in Los Angeles where um, there was a couple who were diagnosed by a doctor who said that they absolutely medically cannot have children and and this had been going on for years and um, the, the uh, man said to his wife, uh, uh, beforehand he says we have this little bit of money we're gonna just put it into the salia." and nine months later they had a baby nine months later just awesome awesome you know um anyway um, I want to look at the uh I want to look at um this word malach because it got triggered last night because as i was putting my my uh, daughter to bed in my younger son was watching this activity. She I can't get through Shema with her because she's got twelve questions every night. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? But how can that be the case? So you know, I knew I was telling my daughter ideas that were beyond her when when I said that Hashem spoke the world into existence and then at another time as I really try to carve into my children's consciousness, that Hashem doesn't have a body. I say, Hashem is not a person. Hashem makes people, right? So so she heard these different things, and now one of her more recent questions is, how can Hashem have spoken the world into creation if He doesn't have a mouth? (laughs) So... I guess you can say she's paying attention. <laughs> so, so uh, when, I, when I get a little impatient or I run out of answers, I'm just, because he's Hashem! <laughs> you know, that's like, okay. Hopefully that'll buy me a little more time for now. Um, so, so, anyway. So she's asking this whole idea of Hamaleth, the angel. And then it just blew my mind, you know, because I think, now remember, this is the blessing that Yaakov Avinu is giving to Yosef and by inference to Ephraim and Menashe as well. Yosef is a key part of that, by the way. It it seems like it's just going to Ephraim and Menashe, but if you read the Pesach, it's going to Yosef. It's really really kind of all, all of them together. So, So anyway, this is a tremendous brocha. And I want to say the following. This is my idea, but I I, I, I think that the Pasek supports it. So he says, ha-malach, the malek, the malek. Singular, that's singular. the malek. it's particular. So you have to understand something about the rules of angels. There's one kind of super rule about angels. Which is that each angel has one mission, and when it finishes its mission, it you know dissolves back into God, basically. So, and we'll we'll go into more detail into that uh, in, in a little bit. So, so in fact, let's do it right now. You, you want to hear something really cool? So then, my son is who's watching, is giving this commentary. <laughs> then my wife walks in, and then she wrapped it all together. So listen to this. Malach is the same letters as Melech, but with an Aleph. Okay? So Melech means king. Okay? Malach is the word king with the letter Aleph. So now listen listen to this. So what does a Malach do? A Malach... We said has Aleph. Aleph is one in gematria, Right? It has one mission. And what's its one mission? To serve the king. Right? Because Malach is the word Melech plus the letter Aleph, which is one. Angel is king plus one because it has one mission and its one mission is to serve the king. So, so when Yaakov Avinu says "HaMalach," the Malach that's been looking over me should continue to look over you. That's an awesome bracha because, from my understanding, what Yaakov Avinu was saying was not e Malach; not you should have heavenly protection. But the angel that's been watching over me, Yaakov Avinu, you can imagine that's a very great angel. That's about as big an angel, as much siyata, Shemaya, help from heaven, that you could ever possibly want. The angel that's watching over Yaakov, he says, should watch over you. Same mission, same angel. That means all of us have that angel. Do you hear? It's Yaakov's angel. I mean it's Hashem. It's Hashem, of course it's Hashem. There's only one power in the world. Angels are an extension, it's how Hashem enacts his will in the world. You know, but it's not they're not independent forces. They're just it's just the reach of Hashem's arm, Kabiyochul, so to speak. So now let's look at the Gematria of the word angel. Angel is Gematria ninety one. Now there are like a lot of big words with that gematria. One of them is is um, man, Uh you add one for the word. So man is the bread that started in heaven, and you know what it says about man? Man starts off in heaven as light, it's the light that, that, that gives sustenance to the angels, okay? It's sort of the food of angels. It's the light that angels consume, and then when it comes down into this world, like, like, like Simpsons, so to speak, this light becomes like a little bit of substance, and then you can eat it. So it goes from heaven to earth. That's man. What does an angel do? It goes from heaven to earth, right? Same gamatria, same DNA, right? How about how about the word? Um, Two names of Hashem. The Yudke Vovke and Aleph, Dalud Nun, and Yud. You add those two up, it comes to 91. The Yudke Vavkei stands for Hashem's mastery over the heavens. Aleph, Dalud Nun, and Yud. Over the earth. So heaven and earth. Right? Also the same gematria as angel. The word Amen is also gematria 91. El Melech Eman, God faithful King, it stands for, says the Gomorrah. You're affirming God's mastery over everything. So it's um, it's an exciting it's an exciting thing. You know, um, you know one of the one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings, you know, I was trying to explain my my this this talk to someone. At work, and um, you know, you're familiar with this, but I'm going to add something. This this whole talk—it's—it's called officially the name of this talk officially is "Living with God: Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World," and it's based on something that I heard Rabbi Green say one time, which is that you know, in 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 love stories in the movies. When, you know, the, the 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 man and the woman, they go through so many difficulties, and at the end, they end up together. And the movie ends. And Rabbi Green said, that's when I want to start watching. <laughs> like, how, what do they do once they have each other? <laughs> you know? So, for me, we have God. And God has us. Now what? Now what do we do? <laughs> so... So living with God. So, so I, I described this, uh, this talk to someone at work. I said, you know, it's kind of like couples counseling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're in this relationship with God, and it's sort of like, what do you do? <laughs> how do you get along? Because you're in that relationship. So how do you make it work? So, so there's so many different things that you have to simultaneously balance in your in your in your in your mind and in your heart, and to bring them together, because because just having it in your hand in the moment of truth if it's not in your heart it's not going to it, it it's not going to be as effective. It you know it's the it's the type of thing they talk about. One of the aspects that you can see of the greatness of of Jonah, um, Jonah and the whale, is that you know there's this storm. You can picture it, and it's rocking the boat, and it's like the ship. It's basically on the verge of tearing it apart. I mean, this is things that people. I mean, I guess they still go through it, but back then, this was like a semi-common occurrence. You know, if you were going to take a long Uh, ship ride because a lot of the commerce you know you didn't have cars you didn't have roads you didn't have airplanes if you wanted to go someplace seriously you're either going to go through a desert which in itself is you know you know very scary or you're going to go over an ocean for a period of days and you don't know what the weather situation is going to be and you can find yourself in the middle of who knows what you know I mean it was frightening really frightening to say the least so one of these storms is taking place. The ship is about to be ripped apart. All the other people on the ship are on top of the deck like yelling out to their gods, taking on every sort of vow, like trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden they notice there's one person on the ship who's not up here. And they go down and they see Yona is asleep in the middle of this. He's asleep in his cabin. And they wake him up and they ask him who he is. Now, and he says, I'm a Jew. See, that's that's what we want. We want that's the mind and the heart together. That's understanding what this world is and who you are and what you're doing in this world. And someone wakes you up in the middle of the night and asks you who you are, and you don't say, Oh, you know, I work at the Starbucks uh, you know, like you know, a lot of people, if you ask them, Who are you? they'll say, I'm an accountant. They define themselves by their job. Who are you? Um, You know, I'm a mom. Who are you? You know, well, I live in Los Angeles. How about this answer? I'm a Jew. That's a good answer. (laughs) I mean, that's the winning answer. You know, I'll tell you one thing. I, I was traveling to Israel one time and there was a stopover in the airport I think it was in France, and there were a bunch of Hasidim, and they were davening. And, you know, they were seriously Hasidic. You know, they had the long beards and the long coats and everything like that, and I love Hasidim and, you know, I'm wondering from which uh, line are they, you know? So I went up to one of them after davening. I davened with them, and this guy was like, had burning eyes, you know? I walked up to him and I said, from which Hasidim are you? And he looked me in the eye like fire, and he said, I'm a Jew. I was like, okay. <laughs> you got your point across. <laughs> We're not making any distinctions. You know? So um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, uh, sort of like a variation of that. Uh, Rabbi, uh, uh, Manus Friedman, a big, uh, Chabad Rebbe, uh, uh, Rabbi, and in, in, you know, he travels all over. He, very wonderful Rabbi. I heard him say this this talk uh, in a talk he told this story. He said that he was dressed a certain way because he didn't want, um, well, for whatever reason, the way he was dressed at the time didn't didn't immediately suggest which, you know, among the different groups of Torah Jews, which which camp he's in, so to speak, you know. So it wasn't immediately identifiable, but I think he must have had like different indications from different things. So maybe there was an aspect of it, if I'm remembering the story, that would sort of like make someone look twice, you know, if they were inclined to look at all. So so someone went up to him and stopped him in the street and said, you know, from which group of Jews are you? And he said, He said, Listen, I am so tired of people dividing people up into groups and making these false distinctions, and what difference does it make? And the person said back, Oh, you're from New York! (laughs) So, (laughs) you know. Anyway. The bottom line is, if a person is looking for validation from outside sources, they're never going to win. They're never going to win. You're never going to win. It's, you know, you got to get a little existential. It's you and God, and you got to be straight. And that's what it is. You've got to be straight. And part of the report card, so to speak, of whether you're actually being straight or not, is how other people are responding to you. So you do have to care what other people think. But not so much to validate you and to justify you, but because that's how God communicates to you in terms of whether you're conducting yourself properly or not. So it's a fine distinction, but it's a it's an important distinction, you know. Um, so so Hashem is blessing us, and if we had any idea if we had any idea what it means just to be alive, you know, it's a... Well, you know, I've shared it with you in the past, but one of the... says, You know, it says in Gomorrah Sanhedrin that one of the signs that one one of the ways that Mashiach is going to arrive is when all the souls that need to be born come down into this world. So there's, I guess, a storehouse of souls, and and when it comes down, then that that'll be that. Um, we'll get on to the next chapter of of the the evolution and the uh, the spiritual perfection of the world. Um, with that in mind, I. When my first child was born, I, uh, it was at Cedar sinai And at that point, there was, um, we had the window, the room that, that we were going to give birth in, had a, had a view of the Hard Rock Cafe. And at that point, I don't even know if it's there anymore. At that point, there was a big sign over it. You know, one of those 20-digit or something um, electronic signs that had a rolling number of the Earth's population. And so I'm making a little movie. I'd like to find this, actually. I don't know where it is. I don't think I've ever seen it. I'm making a little movie of, of you know, like, well, you know, it's so dopey. Well, here we are, about to have a child. You know, I'm sure that was probably the dialogue. And, you know, and let's look out the window. There's, there's the hard rock. Hey, look at that. Our kid is going to be one of those numbers. But the idea is, And if you look at that sign, if you've ever seen one of those signs, it seems like, it seems like it just will never stop. But according to this Gomorrah, it will stop. There's a certain number of souls. There's a certain number of souls. And that means that if you're here at all, the way I put it one time is, you're on God's guest list. You got invited to the party. God's party by God by God and the fact that you're here is means a lot it means a lot and the whole nature of this world is such that it constantly seems to be taking everything away from us you know Even often when we get a compliment, we're being robbed of something. Well, what did you think? What did you think of my thing? I liked it. (laughs) I liked it? So what did I just hear? You liked it, but no one else did. (laughs) So you, you gave me a compliment and you insulted me at the same time. I mean, how much of life is just I liked (laughs) it? Really, (laughs) you know, you know. Or how about this? You know, one of the great, one of the great. I think uh, ironies of our westernized commercial uh, lifestyle is what they call. uh, There's a name for it. uh, Buyer's remorse. You just drive the car, you know, you know, off the lot or whatever it is. And then you see in the paper that you could have gotten it for cheaper from this dealer. (laughs) And you're like, oh, already you're regretting the choice. (laughs) Or you get this cool thing and it's sort of like, you know what, it wasn't exactly the color that goes, I thought, I figured it's red and my walls are red. What could go wrong? It's the wrong shade. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, so, it's like, but, so, this is, and we're constantly getting this. We're constantly getting this. And we're losing, we're losing track of the essential point, which is that there's a world at all. And that we're here at all. And that we have the Torah at all. And, and that's what it is. That's what it is. And that God, you know, you know. There, I read one time; it was a biography of someone who I, I don't remember his name, but he he sort of climbed the ranks in the in the American State Department, and uh, and he wrote. I, I don't read uh, a lot of books. I read very few books, but I do read. Um, uh, book reviews. <laughs> so, you know, it's not the same thing, but you do get quite a bit of information. Uh, and uh, in the book review of this book, they, 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 they quoted this one line. And um, he said that the best way to make someone responsible is to give them some responsibility. And sometimes that's a risky thing, because why would you want to give someone responsibility who you don't necessarily trust? And oftentimes, it, it is in fact a bad idea. However, if there is that sense, okay, maybe, and you give them some level of responsibility, the very fact that they've been entrusted with something will will cause them to grow and to blossom and to be responsible. God gave us this awesome responsibility. He gave us the Torah. He gave us the mission of perfecting the world. With Him, of course. You know? But imagine what that is, that God God trusted us, that God, God who knows us better than we know ourselves, Trusted us at all. He knows something. He knows everything. That means that we are inherently worthy. We are inherently trustworthy. You know, I just heard a Torah from in the name of Rabbi Chaim Shmuel Levitz. That that it's so beautiful. Everyone knows. It says in the Gemara and Gemara Nida that. When we're inside our mother's wombs, we're taught the entire Torah. A malach teaches us, an angel teaches us the entire Torah. And then when we come into the world, the angel touches our lips. Maybe it's a different angel. Touches our lips and we forget it. So the question is, why do we have to be taught the entire Torah to begin with while we're in in our mother's wombs? And then why do we forget it? So I've heard different answers. But this answer I I really liked quite a bit. Why are we being taught Torah in our mother's wombs? Because because Torah is the whole meaning of the world. How can you be alive without Torah? So do you hear that? If you're only doing one thing, it's Torah. That's God's idea. (laughs) I mean, we're talking something... And then why do you forget it? Because this world is a world of work. And if you're going to exert yourself in one way, let it be for Torah. So, you know, I, I realized at one point that, about myself, I used to be one of these people that would love to constantly speculate about everything. Like, for instance, and I think a lot of people are this way. And these tend to be the people who a lot of people want to hang around because they're quote-unquote interesting. It's sort of like you're you're driving to the movie. Do you think it's going to be sold out or do you think it's not going to be sold out? Well, maybe it's going to be sold out. Do you think it's going to be a good movie or do you think it's not going to be a good movie? It's, You know what? We're going to be there in two minutes. <laughs> we're going to find out if it's sold out or if it's not sold out. And then if it's not sold out, we're going to see the movie. And then we're going to decide if we like the movie or if we didn't like the movie. You know, and so at a certain point in my life, I, I stopped wanting to speculate about, do you think they're going to be late or they're not going to be late? How many people do you think are going to be there? I, I don't... Let's talk about something else, you know. I mean, I... So on, the, on one level, you actually become less interesting. <laughs> because, you know... But on the other level, you free up your mind and simplify your mind so that you can concentrate on what really is. And that's what we've got to do. That's part of our avoda, especially in the time that we're living in, in the history of the world. You know, I've pointed this out a few times, and I, I, I think that it's significant. I think it's significant. It's culturally significant. The fact that these billboards now used to be one billboard, now every billboard is five billboards, we, because of the electronic signs. That is the Sahara upping its game. I promise you, that's exactly what it is. You can talk to me about advertising and about economics, and I'm happy to have that conversation with you. But I'm telling you, the endless, The truth is, that is the Sahara upping its game. And it's sort of like, got you. You're, you're, you're busted. That is, you know, I know it's you. I know it's you. I know what that is. Because we know from the Ramchal and even before that when, when Moshe shows up in Egypt, when Moshe shows up in Egypt, the first thing that Paro does is increases the workload of the Jews. Because as soon as redemption comes, and that's Moshe Rabbeinu, the counteraction is keep people busy. Make them more busy. Make them work harder so that they can't concentrate. So they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Send them more signs and more opportunities and more things to be schizophrenic about. So that they can't concentrate on the simple truth that they're alive and there's a world and they're part of it, and that it's driving towards something. So maybe, maybe, as the new year comes, as part of our work in terms of figuring out how to pull ourselves up to the next level, maybe we can just concentrate on just simplifying, simplifying what's important to us to look how we exert ourselves. And especially if we find that we're exerting ourselves over and over in the same areas without any solution. Those are the things in our lives that we have to look at the most. Because we need a new strategy for those things. Because they can't go on sucking the energy and the life force out of us. We cannot be codependent, and we cannot allow that to continue as a force in our life. The way I heard a rabbi put it one time, he says, you know, so many Jews are on a Ferris wheel. They go in terms of a particular mitzvah, say, or a particular life challenge. They go up and then down and then up and then down and up and down. And they're not getting anywhere. Let's look at those areas of our life where we're not getting anywhere. And if they're not important, let's just cut it off and if it is important let's figure out how we can intelligently reapproach these things because otherwise we're not going to be as productive as we need to be and we need to be productive you know torah is the lifeline and the life force of the world wherever you plug it wherever you plant it it blossoms it's it's amazing It's amazing and it's been forever. It's never not been that way in any age in human history, in any corner of the globe. If it's real Torah, anywhere you plant it, it blossoms. So we have to trust that this is really worth pursuing. Remember, God's teaching us one thing in the womb. Torah. Because that's the one thing we need to know. Let's simplify our lives. And just... Really try to get it right so that we can be the partners with God that we need to be to do our end in living up to our responsibility to help bring about the perfection of the world for the sake of Hashem. So that everyone should know that it's Him and only Him, that He's the only power in the world and that the knowledge of God should fill the world like the waters fill the oceans.